Luke chapter 2. Today's message will tie real well into Sunday school uh, today. Um, I think you'll see some intertwining there, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you. Luke chapter 2, of course, is what we refer to as the Christmas story uh, that we often read at Christmas time. But I want to look at something particular in this, these verses here. Let's turn to verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now I want to focus this message on the last verse of our text, particularly the first part of the last verse, and this shall be a sign unto you. The title of the message is, That Ought to Be a Sign. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word today, Lord God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work today. Lord God, may my lips be used of you today. May you get all the honor and glory for what's said and done today. And Father, as we look at the signs, signs that are in the Bible, may we understand clearly about these signs. And so, Father, we just ask for your guidance and your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in life, we come across certain circumstances that are to speak to us and cause us to consider and act upon that which lies ahead in our life. We refer to these as signs. In a very concrete example of what a sign is, we may consider road signs as we drive along in our cars. Andy, you'll be doing that here soon. These signs are to get our attention of what lays ahead for the purpose of preparing our actions properly and to anticipate the future and to prepare our actions in the present. Stop sign. Ahead means to begin slowing down to a stop. Red light means stop and not run into the car in front of you at the red light. A little hidden joke there. You can ask Andy and Katie about that. Curve ahead tells us the safe speed of the curve. Picture of a deer means a good place to hunt. No, that's a misinterpretation of a sign. It actually means to actively look for deer, to anticipate a deer crossing right in front of you and be prepared to stop suddenly if need be. Now, what would we do if we did not have exit signs? Which brings me to another point, that sometimes even when the exit sign is clear, we miss it anyway. Whether we were distracted by other thinking, other conversations, texting, and I'm famous for this one in autopilot mode, headed to work when you're actually headed to church, or stuck in the wrong lane and can't get over. 
It all boils down to the same thing. We were not paying close attention to the task at hand, and it's called distracted driving. Now, when this happens, there are other signs that pop up to let us know we missed the exit. The first one is your wife telling you that you should have turned back there, or Siri telling you repetitively to proceed to the route, or the annoying and sometimes too slow reacting, recalculating. You know, I remember one time my son, Tim, that's good that he left, he might be a little embarrassed about this one. My son, Tim, and I were coming home from somewhere. I, don't, I can't remember what the situation was. And uh, at some point, we were in West Virginia. We were headed home, and I turned the driving over to Tim because I was, like, totally exhausted or sick or something. And so I just, I just crashed in the car. So while I slept, Tim missed the exit on 32. And what does Tim do? He keeps on driving. I wake up. We're in Chillicothe. <laughs> Where are we? What did you do? Oh, you know, <clears throat> spiritually speaking, we miss the signs God puts in front of us, which results in distracted living. And we have the after the fact signs, which are always unpleasant. When we see a person headed down a wrong path and something happens that openly exposes their wrong direction in life, we may say something like, that ought to be a sign. The problem with these types of signs is that they are after the fact. They are witnesses to the slackness, ignorance, or open rebellion of the signs ahead of disaster. It is sad, but those who are blind to the signs of danger ahead many times are subject to missing the after the fact signs of what happens when you ignore the signs. And this is how people fall so far away from God. God uses signs in the Bible for various reasons at various times to guide our steps along the path He has for us or to get us back on the path when we veered off. But signs can be easily misinterpreted or misunderstood. As a student driver must study and take tests concerning the meaning of road signs and the proper response to them, so we must look to the Word of God to understand and obey the signs that God gives us. Today we're going to be looking at different signs God uses in His words, the perversion of signs, the purpose of signs, and the pointing of signs. What all so signs point to, if correctly understood, we're going to learn that as well. Now the definition of a sign is something like this. A sign is an object quality, event, or entity whose presence or occurrence indicates the presence or occurrence of something else yet to come. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is a wonderful portion of Scripture. It's an exciting portion of Scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar said this concerning the personal signage God put in his life. Daniel 4.1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. This sounds like a New Testament uh, uh, epistle. <laughs> I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion 
is from generation to generation. You know, there's different signs in the Bible. The word sign or signs in the Bible is really, really quite broad in its use and can refer to many different things. Genesis 1.14, and God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Some people misconstrue that verse there and come up with some wild things. I've had some people do that and tell me what's coming predict things and all sorts of things that never come to pass. God gave Moses three things that were to be signs to the Hebrew elders when he was when he was going back into Egypt to authenticate that he was sent by God to deliver them out of Egypt. A rod that would turn into a serpent, a hand that would turn leprous and non-leprous as he put it into his bosom and out. And the last sign was that Moses could take water out of the river and when he poured it on the ground it would turn into blood. There were monuments or landmarks to the Hebrews that were constructed as memorials to remind them of God and how he did things at certain times. The Sabbath was considered a sign to God's people, Exodus 31, 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Numbers 26.10 says, And the earth was o- opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, what, the t- what time the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. This was a sign of warning to others who would defy God. God had his people write his words by various means to keep God's word before them. He called them signs. Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Dreams, prophecies, wonders, miracles are considered as signs in the Bible. God would give signs to Israel whether they should go to battle or not. Along with the text verse of this message of the sign given to the shepherds concerning the birth of Christ, there was another sign of the birth of Christ given to the prophet Isaiah, which we've read this morning, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God gave different signs for different reasons at different times. The reason is that the human landscape changes throughout its history requiring varying forms of communication from God. What might have been used as signs to us in the past are no longer used as signs in the present. An obvious example is when Israel is going to war. At that time, God would give different signs whether they should go to war or not. We don't do that any longer. The Urim and the Thummim, used by the priest to get direction from God, is no longer used. God no longer leads us by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by night. But at that particular time in history, that was a vital sign. The history of man could be likened unto the development of civilization and and the road systems through time. You know, you can look at some recent development of our roads. 
uh, Mount Orb or Batavia or Eastgate. What were the roads that we traveled have gone away and developed into new roads that frustrate us. Well, no, that make better ways <laughs> to suit the current population. What has not changed is the fact there are roads and roads and lead to places that we must go. That has never changed. It's the same with the signs from God. They may have changed along the way, but they all lead to the same place we must go. What God says. What God says. As silly as it sounds, when we try to and follow signs and roads to the presence of God that no longer exist, we get lost, delayed, have hard hearing and obeying God's word. A classic example is the Orthodox Jews who today keep God's law written for a sign upon their hand as frontless between their eyes and written upon the posts of the house and of their gates. They willfully ignore the writing on the back of the sign of the law, the sign Jesus wrote on the back. That was the part of the sign that points to the heart that says the law is a schoolmaster to Christ. That you are a sinner condemned by the law, you advertise. That salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus well spoke to the religious of his day. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, Cleanse thou first, which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Because they refuse the sign of all signs, Christ the Messiah, Christ the Savior, they totally miss God. They're totally away. We see the same thing in Christian religious activity today. They go back and try to revitalize transitional signs of the early church that were prophesied in God's word to become non-existent or cease for something better. 1 Corinthians 13:8, charity never faileth. Now, love is a sign that has always existed and will never go away. But whether there be prophecies, these are the things that were not written in the word of God yet that were going to happen, but now they are written. It says, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, and, and we don't have time to go into this, but I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 very carefully. It says, they shall cease. Whether there'll be knowledge. Now, I've heard a lot talked about what this means of knowledge. But this is a conclusion I've come to in, in, in context of gifts and spirituality. You know, there's some things in the Bible, in the New Testament, that you got to ask, where did they get that? How did they know about the disciples sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane? God told us. God gave them knowledge. He filled it in. There's several things in the New Testament that refer to the old that, that aren't in the Old Testament but tie together. It's knowledge, just plain out facts that God plugs into His Word, had plugged into it. It says, It shall vanish away. 
for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but that when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We need to be putting away some childish things in our service to God. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. That was prophecy written down for us today. We have that which is perfect, clear, and complete, the Word of God. There were temporary signs put up in the construction phase of the Word of God when the construction was complete, the temporary signs were pulled down and you traveled on that new road. We need to beware of religious movements in the sense of movements that they found something new or they resurrected signs that are not applicable anymore. Now awakenings or revivals in history are different in that they do not bring any new information. They just stoke the fire of never-changing truth of God's Word. It is God's Spirit blowing upon God's Word. Jeremiah 23, 29 is not my word like a fire, saith Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces. A fire that burns in the heart of believers and a hammer to break the hearts of unbelievers and rebellious Christians. Boy, do we need revival. Not only do we have religion using old signs, we have religions using billboards that promote the exaltation of the flesh as an indicator of being close to God. Whew, this feels good. Getting in this. Whew, God's here. Let's feel that beat. Feelings and emotion drawn from the world's music and the world's mantra, if it feels good, do it. And these sign irregularities water down the truth of God. They pour water on the fire of God's word. They have an outward appearance, but result in inward degradation. It makes the outward cup look good. All sorts of professions and baptisms, but in, inwardly we see non-repentance, flat-out immorality in the church, and no accountability to properly discipline its members having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away, 2 Timothy 3.5. The true and relevant signs from God are foolproof. They cannot fail. Isaiah 55.11, And so shall my word, word, be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. There are also other perversions and misrepresentations of signs that we are guilty of. First of all, there are the signs that have nothing to do with God at all and need to be flat out rejected. As you go down the highway, there are all sorts of billboards, isn't there? And signs. And some of them are just flat out wrong and bad. 
God has his way of determining wrong signs and wrong givers of signs. Deuteronomy 13.1, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer, a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. When a religion allows sodomy into the church, when it allows them into the clergy, they are going after other gods. We are not to hearken to them. There's also signs of probability. These are things like I'm sneezing and my throat is a little sore. I am probably catching a cold. The feds will probably raise the interest rates a little more in 2023. Or I heard some thunder. Most probably a storm is coming. Nothing wrong with the interpretation and acting upon these types of signs. Gargle with salt water and take some vitamin C for that feeling of a cold coming on. Wait a little to put your savings in a CD. Go out and roll up the windows in your car before the rain comes. Actually, in these cases, where there is proven and strong evidence, it is wise to consider and act upon these kinds of signs. Even though there's a slight chance that the sign does not produce the expected result of it. There are natural signs. These are natural signs. They're not foolproof signs. Unlike God's signs, these signs have a slight chance of failing. Then we have signs that are based on little to no evidence. And people, you need to listen to this one here. I would call these superstitious Magical, mystical-based, or feelings-based. We need to be very careful of these. These are the signs that lead to unhealthy fear, anxiety, gambling, and worry. It is why people play Mega Millions believing that they can beat the odds of 302,575,350 to 1. I like to reverse that. There was much greater odds of those prophecies coming true. And it came true because God never fails. It's a sure thing. So maybe even worse than that is why wouldn't a lottery, I've mentioned this before, choose the numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What, what do they base that on? Some will believe that the fortune cookie lottery numbers are a sign of numbers to play. If you get fortune cookie, they always have lottery numbers on. And I guarantee you people will be playing those. That's a sign. Fortune cookie. Could your number be the one that wins the lottery? Sure. Could. But signs based on superstitions, magical, mystical, or feelings are based on improbability, demonism, and lies. These are more dangerous than you might think. Though there are the obvious pitfalls of going to a psychic for a sign of the future, misappropriated feelings, 
as signs are in the same family as witchcraft and rebellion. My mom used to worry every time she heard an ambulance siren panicking that it was coming for one of her kids. And I, was, I mean, we lived in a city. There was gazillions of kids. It just went through her mind, and she would panic. You, you know what I'm talking about. It would do us well to remember how many times we were wrong in our worrying. We just knew something was going to happen. I know it's going to, and it doesn't happen. Pay attention to that, folks. You're basing it on a lot of improbability. Could it be your child is in that ambulance? That you hear? Could be. But most probably not. Our mind and well-being are negatively affected by misplaced worry. It is very unhealthy. We live in a society of unhealthy thinking, resulting in tons of depression and anxiety medications. What we need is a good dose of what thus saith the Lord. Regardless of how we feel or experience which can be misleading. When you accept Christ, when you have truly confessed your sin, it is gone. To let your carnal mind relive and give power to the past is denying the Word of God. You are trusting your feelings and not your faith. Unsaved people have unresolved past sins, resulting in a devastating future. The facts of their unresolved past leads to depression. The facts of their future leads to anxiety. The common drug is to douse yourself into what this temporal world may or may not give you. And if that isn't working, you go to the medications. God commands us as Christians not to take this path, but rather rest in his promises, which cannot fail. Now I'm going to have everybody stand up a little bit, because I know it gets a little uncomfortable there. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. Consider this an intermission. <laughs> James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You may be seated. God commands us to be stable in Him. Instability is a lack of faith. Romans 14, 23, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So there are many perversions of signs. There are signs that are not signs of God at all. There are probable signs that are generally good to follow that are probably true. There 
are improbable signs that are rooted in disbelief, mistrust, and wickedness. But there are also other misinterpretations of signs. I was talking with my boss, Jerry Henline, who recently got their family together for Thanksgiving at a large cabin in Tennessee. On their way down there, as they went the back way through Knoxville, they ran across a billboard that they believed to say, Romantic Escape Rooms. They began to wonder at what kind of escape room that would be. Jerry, who has been in escape rooms before, asked his wife Carol, and you have to know these two, what she thought a romantic escape room would be like. She replied, I guess it all depends who's in the room. <laughs> when they got to the cabin and explained what sign they thought they saw, their son Jay, who had seen the same sign, revealed to them that the sign was a title for a cabin rental company called Romantic Escapes. They all laughed their heads off at Carol and Jerry's misinterpretation of the sign and the thoughts <laughs> that proceeded from that. Signs in the Bible were always carriers of a bigger message. Though some of the signs and miracles were tremendous in themselves, they always pointed to a bigger message. There were those in the Bible who see the signs and wonders of Jesus and seek him for the provision or power that they can get from them. John 6, 24, I'm bringing it up again. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, this was after the feeding of the 5,000, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence comest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. They sought him for what, they could provide, what Jesus could provide. There's a lot of people seeking Jesus for that. Labor not for the meat which perish, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do? Here's, a work, here's the beginning of a work salvation. That we might work the works of God, the desire of having the power. We see people in, in the Bible who sought God's power to, just for the power's sake of it. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now I have to ask the question, how many more signs and miracles could he have shown? They just seen amazing amount of miracles already. Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. By the way, this was an after-the-fact sign. It was a sign of the resurrection. It was a sign of power. It was a sign that brought concern to the Pharisees. Not one that would cause them to believe, but would cause them to roll a great stone and seal him in his tomb and guard that tomb. Now, Brother Mike Reeder painted a similar picture of those in the book of Revelation who gathered their armies to fight against God in the battle of Armageddon and how Jesus simply and effortlessly wipes them out by the word of his mouth. Would putting a large stone, sealing it and guarding it, would that take care of Jesus and his claims to destroy this temple and I'll build it again in three days? 
I believe that the Pharisee's father, Satan himself, moved upon the Pharisees that they might tempt Jesus to act in the flesh. The same tactic of Satan tempting the Lord in the wilderness to do something amazingly incredible, perhaps remove a mountain and plant it in the sea before their very eyes. You'd think that would do it, huh? It didn't matter what he did. If he did it out of his own will and not of the Father's will, it would have been sin and annulled him as the Savior of the world. Now, these are things exactly what we would do when the bully questions our ability or lack thereof. We prove it to them. We would show them a sign to shut their mouth once and for all. You just tell me I can't, and that just provokes me to tell you, show you I will. Eh, I hope we grow up out of that. From a human standpoint, the Pharisees probably had different motivation to ask Jesus a sign. But just as evil as Satan. He was their father. Deuteronomy 18.20, the scripture, But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath, hath spoken it presumptuously, Thou shalt not be afraid of him. They were looking for a reason to kill him, I believe. Give me a sign. That's why they kept asking him things. They, they just wanted to nail him to that cross. Jesus wasn't concerned about giving him a sign. He simply knew that their heart was not looking for a sign for the right reason. And you say, well, that's really bad. It's the same thing today when we ask for something with the wrong heart. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him. Now listen to what he says. Because he spoke some serious stuff here. He didn't know what he was saying. I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you hereafter, Shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven? Then the high priest ran his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. He got it. What think ye? They, they answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then they did spit in his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands. Listen to what they said. Saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? A false prophet shall be put to death. Didn't Jesus ident identify the Pharisees, children of them that killed the prophets? 
Woe to you, for you build sepulchers of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Listen to the scriptures closely. It didn't matter what sign Jesus would do. A sign in itself cannot produce saving faith. It is believing on the one from whom the sign originates. That's the greater part of it. Let me further show you some misunderstanding of signs and the lack of power in the sign of itself. John eleven forty one. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and lift, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. This is Lazarus. He's going to raise him from the dead. And I knew that thou heardest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. This is a great miracle. All miracles perish, but what grows eternally is the belief of the one who does all miracles. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound Bound about with a napkin. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Jesus. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now listen to what the Jews say. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. And I'm going to emphasize the tone of this verse here. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall take away both our place and the nation. Luke 16, 19, there was a rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores. And we know the story. And at the end, he says, But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime, thou receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus, Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray, therefore, Father, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest, also, lest they also come into this place of torment. You know, I've come to the point all funerals are the same. All messages are the same from the deceased. It's, it's great to believe on him or you need to believe on him. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went up From the dead, they will repent. In other words, it'll take a sign. We don't need the word of God. It's better that we do a miracle here. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. But let's not stop here. Let's look at how long signs of miracles last 
and the hard-hearing, hard-hearted people. Exodus 4.29. Remember Moses, I told you, had those three sides, and he's taken it to, uh, to the elders there. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh commanded, it says, the same day, the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and the tail of the bricks which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof. They shall be, for they be idle. Therefore their cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their, more, let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. Exodus 5.19 says, And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in an evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks from your daily tasks. Not sure if they even had experienced the hard work yet. And they met Moses and Aaron. Take the man of God who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto him, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be a hoard in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. How long did those three signs, I mean Moses, when he threw the rod down and it turned into a serpent, he jumped back. One day, it appears. Under what circumstance? The threat of harder work. How many signs were there of the plagues? There was ten, right? And then, did that cause Pharaoh to believe? And you look at those signs and you got to scratch your head. Would not the sign of the death of your firstborn cause Pharaoh and his army to repent and believe? No, they would perish in the Red Sea. Well, wait a minute. The Hebrews saw all of this and passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. How long would this sign last? Exodus 15, 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? The sign at the Red Sea was good for three days. And at what circumstance? Thirst. Now, I can't prove this, but I wonder if it was like how the shoes and clothing, which we do know, which I can't show you that in the Bible, never wore out the time they were 40 years in the wilderness. But I can't help but wonder, 
Maybe they didn't need water or food. I never heard Moses or Aaron or any Caleb or ever complaining about that. And by their character, I don't believe they had their, their own private little storage of water away from all the other people. Now, I can't prove that. But you say they thirsted or they said they were hungry. How many times do you eat just for the pleasure of it? You're not really hungry. Food, food is a fleshly pleasure we do not want to give up. Sometimes we think, sometimes people, man, when it's 12 o'clock, man, somebody, oh, it's 12.07 right now. I got to eat. You know, on a time, I've been with people, like sometimes when I go to work, I've got a job to do, you know, and, and, and uh, I might be nervous about it, and I want to get to this point, and I just keep, I can eat later. I just keep going and pounding away at it. Some people, man, it's watching the clock. I believe these, these people were like that. All signs point to God himself. It is a draw men to the obedience of the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. We are to put our complete trust in him for everything. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, there's the sign of nature itself, a creator. There's a sign of morality inside mankind, a law written in their hearts. That's why we don't, even the unsaved don't kill each other. Kind of makes sense to me that they would. Just to get what they want, because that's all they got is this life. Why not just take it? If it's written in their hearts, there's the proof of the resurrection. There's the failing of science. <laughs> continual. The miracle of the existence of the Jews, the continual hate of the Jews. How can you continue to just hate somebody that much? It says that anti-Semitism is rising. There's the supernatural writing of God's word, unmatched by even the tiniest measure to any other literary work. What signs will it take? For the proud in their wisdom, the scientists of evolution, which we listen to them, and then when, when proof comes to them, they, they look so silly and stupid in their responses. For the abortionist and the pro-choice crowd, and we can go on and on with all these hater groups. They're no different than Pharaoh, the first generation Hebrews, or the Pharisees, Sadducees, and lawyers of Jesus' day. The truth does not matter. It is all about them and their fleeting time on earth, and God must be killed to support their cadence. No sign will work. They simply will not believe. So they meet Jesus face to face. Then they will believe, but it will be too late. It'll be too late. But for the saved, these are the signs that led us to the word of God, that we may believe on him whom God hath sent. Luke 2.12, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, laid in a manger, lived in the cradle of humility, a servant. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was wrapped in linen clothes in his death. Born to die, a 
Savior, a servant, a Savior. And a babe, innocent, sinless. Sinless, a servant, a Savior. The end of all signs from God lead to the believing on God and the Father sending Jesus the Son as the Savior of the world to be our Savior and the Lord of our life. By and through God's written, completed Word of God as revealed by the Spirit of God which cannot fail. It cannot fail. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As the pianist comes to play. What a wonderful verse. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's all about him. It all leads to him. But we got people misusing and abusing the signs that lead them to God. You know, Somebody was, and then you hear this complaint all the time of, you know, December 25th probably wasn't when Jesus was born. Yeah. You know what would happen if we knew exactly what day Jesus was born? We'd worship the day. We'd make it a sign. God had to hide Moses' bones or they'd worship those instead of him. We worry way too much. We live in an evil day. Things are going to happen, folks, but God has it all in control. Some of these religions, I see the people are so insecure because they base their faith on their feelings and on signs and things of that nature. And they're shallow. Thank you for your attention. Uh, remember, just to come right up here afterwards, 15 minutes. Uh, it's a choir practice, and uh, we'll go from there. Father, thank you again for your word. As we learn briefly about signs in the Bible and how we mess things up, and Lord, may we just put our entire trust upon you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.